Hello, and welcome to the Anxiety Rx podcast, a show created by an anxiety specialist and neuroscientist, me, that offers unique, practical, and actionable advice to help you understand what anxiety truly is and exactly what you can do to empower yourself to resolve it. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Kennedy, an MD who suffered with crippling anxiety for 30-plus years, and traditional therapy from psychiatrists and psychologists really didn't help me feel better. And I also didn't like being on psych meds. In 2013, after burning out and leaving medical practice, I came to the conclusion that if I was ever going to heal my anxiety, I would have to do it myself. And that's exactly what I did, drawing from experiences with psychedelics and holistic healing and combining those modalities with my scientific academic background in medicine, neuroscience, and developmental psychology. Here on the Anxiety Arcs podcast, I offer a distinctly non-traditional and non-medical approach to understanding and healing anxiety. So despite the fact I'm trained as a physician, in no way is what I say and suggest to be construed as medical advice because none of the ways I use to resolve anxiety has anything to do with traditional allopathic medicine. From my own healing, I've created a distinctly non-traditional understanding and approach that helps thousands of people from all over the world understand and relieve their chronic anxiety. So if you're ready, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Anxiety Rx podcast. I am your host, Dr. Russ Kennedy, and I have a very special guest with me today, my daughter, Leandra. Hello. So we're going to talk about anxiety because she's no stranger to anxiety. She didn't suffer from it nearly as badly as I did, but she had her own issues with it. We'll also talk a little bit about what it was like growing up with an anxious parent because she had one parent that was very emotionally level, her mother. (laughs) And then there's me, you know, so, so I was the one that was kind of off doing all these things and her mother was very level and stable and around the house. Would you mm-hmm. say that was fair? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very level, very stable. I, I think you might be selling yourself short a little bit here. Uh, you weren't completely off the rails. You were the fun parent for sure. Okay. Uh, you know, there was a lot of laughter, a lot of silliness, a lot of, you know, I definitely knew that there was, uh, you were the parent that I could pretty much, you know, get whatever I wanted with. It was like, uh, you know, yeah. go to dad and say, can I have this? And it was pretty much always going to be a yes. I was a soft touch. Yes. I really yes, was. Yes, definitely. Sure. Definitely. Now, could you tell when I was, when you were younger that I struggled with anxiety? No. I mean, maybe innately, um, but I definitely never thought to myself, oh, my dad is really struggling right now. Mm. Um, I noticed maybe in times where uh, you had a shorter temper when you were getting frustrated yeah. with things, which I think was actually a manifestation of severe anxiety. Probably, yeah. Um, you know, dropping the tape when you were trying to tape off a room to be painted and just screaming as though you had just dropped a hammer on your toe. It was like, is uh, that a normal response? Uh, really those are things that I remember. So I'm glad you're here. I know, yeah. I, you know, I feel like I wouldn't remember those things if there wasn't sort of a, an alarm bell going off right. in my head. But no, as a child, I never thought to myself, my dad has anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. But later on, you did. Later on, I definitely did. Yeah. yeah. Around the time that I myself started to develop, to develop my own anxiety. Um, and I started like late to, teens, early 20s? like when? Early 20s. Okay. Yeah, definitely early 20s. I started to just, I think it started with the awareness of my own mortality. Mm. It became like... I started to realize that life wasn't a guarantee, 
okay. know, it wasn't, uh, you know, oh, you're only 20, but you get to live till you're 85 or 90. So it's all good. You know, you got lots of time. I started to kind of think all these crazy thoughts, like, what if I walk out the door tomorrow and get hit by a car? Or, you know, what if I get on an airplane and it goes down? Like all these things that I never thought of ever right. up until I hit about 22. And then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And was there an event that kind of tripped that over? Because often I see with my, my anxiety peeps is that they'll do okay. Like they'll tread water for a while and then they'll get in a car accident or a breakup or a relationship that doesn't work out. And there's something that kind of, that's enough that's the straw that breaks the camel's back that kind of tips you over into sort of anxiety and alarm, I guess. Yeah, like a catalyst for sure. I I suspect it was maybe a hormone imbalance. Oh, right, because you were on I, the pill and it just, well, yeah. Well, no, I went on the patch and it just went okay. like, uh, it was it was just a complete derailment. And I had, the worst part of it was that I had no idea right. that that's what it was until the person I was seeing at the time was like, uh, this started about three months ago. You put that patch on three months ago, maybe. <laughs> it's and funny like, how you couldn't see it yourself, no, right? Because no. you're right in it, yeah. Never even occurred to me. I thought, and at that point in time, I had some awareness of your anxiety. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was sort of um, a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way because I, st- I started to think, oh, well, my dad has anxiety. Therefore, this is anxiety. Okay. And then the more I thought I had anxiety, the more I started to believe it. Yes. And then the more I perpetuated these anxious cycles or this, you know, alarm. Um, and then away we went. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that makes sense. And then you would see me at points when, because you came to live with me when you were doing dental hygiene mm-hmm. over in Vancouver, right? Yes. That and that was, was a pretty difficult time for you. That was when it all came to a head, I think, right. for me. I was starting to learn about my own anxiety and how it was affecting me. And then I moved in with you at arguably your most anxious point (laughs) in your life. And it was just sort of like, I almost feel like it was the universe just bringing us together and being like, okay, you guys got to sort this out. We're just going to make this absolutely horrific for both of you. Um, And I witnessed you definitely at your, at the lowest point that I had ever seen you for sure. And I'm pretty sure your lowest actual point. I think I was because I, I think I went down to about 155 pounds. And normally I'm like 175, 180, yeah. you know, so to drop 20 pounds like that. And I was still working. I was still kind of functioning. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember you telling me you could tell by the look on my face as soon as I walked in the door how I was. How I was. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a judgment. It was a snap judgment that I had to make every time you walked in the door, usually from work. Is dad okay? Right. And in that, am I okay? Yes. So I'm, you know, hearing the keys go in the door and my heart starts racing. Like I start going into, you know, fight or fight or flight because I'm going, okay, you know, is it going to be okay? And then if it was okay, mm-hmm. because it was never good or great. Right. Um, I was like, felt this tremendous sense of relief. Like, right. Okay, we're all right right now. And then when it wasn't okay, yeah. which I could read in your face and your body language and everything, it was like, how do I get away from this? Mm-hmm. How do I shut this down? Like I sprinkled with, should I be dad's counselor? 
Right. Should I yeah. go down to your room and go like, do you are you okay? Do you need to talk? You're because you're a natural counselor. For exactly. Sure. Yeah, you were a counselor in high school. You know, you're a natural counselor. Yeah. So, so, so seeing you, somebody in distress, right. my response, although my instinct is, I don't want to do that. Right. I don't want to go there because of the parent-child yeah. relationship. Yeah. But there's also this overwhelming feeling of like, this is somebody I love who's clearly in distress. I want to help. So. And and I'm thinking that I'm hiding this from you. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, I'm totally. hiding. So that's how that was me hiding it. It was. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, would hate how, to have seen what not what it, hiding it was. Yeah. yeah, because I think a lot of people, you know, see me now and they go, "Wow, you know, you didn't have anxiety." It's like, well, here's Leandra to tell you that uh, I'd lost 20 pounds. I just yeah. looked like pale and bleak and. My outlook was terrible, and it was hard for me to have you there because I would have to kind of put on this front yeah. that I was okay, but clearly yeah. I, it wasn't a great front. It wasn't, yeah. but I mean, I'm also very sensitive to people's moods, True. so I do yeah. think that your front was probably fooling a lot of people. I think it was, uh, yeah. But it definitely wasn't fooling me. Right, You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I mean, at your lowest point, I don't necessarily know that like, yeah, you lost a bunch of weight and you looked really awful, but like, Thanks. I also heard, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I mean, a, no, you, no, you I know agree. it's true, I, yeah, I hear you. but yeah. you know, there was also days where, you know, I would come home from my work and I would hear you in your bedroom sobbing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I so. mean, that, that was, I mean, that was, I had never in my life heard you cry. Right. And to come home and hear that, I mean, I can't even explain how jarring that and and terrifying and upsetting. And I mean, it was really you didn't just look like you had been through a storm. Yeah. Like it it was it was more than that. No. It was a lot more than that. I couldn't eat like I would eat what I would eat. <laughs> Is I would go to the store and get cans nachos. of tuna and nachos, yeah, and nachos and tuna. Yeah, and I would eat if I and I didn't feel like eating. Yeah. So now, so so what I would do is I would eat a a can of tuna. Yeah. And I would just force it down. Yeah. Like I would just force it down, yeah. and I was somehow getting some sort of sustenance in yeah. me, and that kind of thing. Was I doing stand up back then too? You were, okay. which blew my mind. Right. Okay. I uh, was thinking to myself, how is this guy? In the shape that I am witnessing him in, in his home. Yeah. And he's going out and getting in front of people and bearing his soul because that's what you do in comedy. I mean, right. you're just yeah. you're just putting yourself out there yeah. and really hoping for a laugh and really hoping for a big laugh. And with what you're going through at home, to make yourself even more vulnerable than you already were... I was like, it's it was masochistic. I mean, that's what well, it seemed no, like. Yeah, <laughs> that's what and it seemed I, like in a way, me. in a way, it was, but it, it was also a way that I could prove that I was still okay. Yes, because it was like yeah. I could go, I could, you know, see thirty or forty people in medicine, you know, at a in a clinic, and I'd be fine because I'd done that for so long. It was so automatic for mm-hmm. me. But stand up was one of those things where I had to get the right side of my brain. I had to start thinking in a different way and having fun like I had to, like I would get out there and I would I would get home at night and I would be a different person yeah I would feel yes, yes. 100% yeah it, and it was an escape for you yeah yes and I do and now that you mention it I do remember that because I remember when you would get home if I happened to still be awake it was kind of like old dad yeah you know like yeah. and you very rarely would you get home and even if you didn't have a great set, yeah. like you'd still be, you know, I'd say, oh, how'd it go? Expecting you to be like, oh, I killed. And you'd yeah. be like, oh, it was 
was okay. You know, I did all right. And, yeah. but yeah, you were clearly, it was an escape and it was getting that right brain, um, you know, involvement and getting you out of what you were in temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it definitely, it, it was a different you for sure. And it was amazing how much it helped to like, like I would finish a set if it, and if it went well, or even if it didn't well, go well, and I would get back home and I would feel so much better. Mm-hmm. So it was like, and I would say to myself so many times, I'd be in bed, it'd be like after midnight because we get finished late. And I'd be like, how can I feel so normal mm-hmm. now? Yet I know when I get up at eight o'clock tomorrow morning, yeah. I'm going to feel terrible. Yeah. I'm going to feel right back in that old alarm. Yeah. And I would sometimes I would actually record on my phone, say, hey, you know what? You're actually feeling really good right now. And I want you to play this yeah. when you wake up in the morning yeah. because it was such a state change. Totally. I don't know, with with your anxiety, was it more morning or was it more evening? No, it was or always what? evening. Okay. And I, I feel like it was when my brain had time, because fi- I mean, for me all day was the distraction and then I would get into bed and I would lie down and it was like my brain kind of went oh hey (laughs) I got some stuff for you to think about it's really super fun Mm -hmm. what if you're driving along everything's totally fine yeah and your kids are in the back seat you guys are singing along and you just drive off a bridge yep and the car is in the water more water coming in by the second. You can't get both your kids out. Jesus, Leandra. Which one <laughs> of the kids are you going to, like... But this is anxiety. This is what it does to you, right? Like, it, it paralyzes that, that prefrontal cortex. It paralyzes the part of your brain that would say, hey... Yeah. This this is stupidly ridiculous. Yeah. Why are but you doing this? not only do you make more fear when you're in this stage, but the part of your brain that would tell you, hey... This is actually ridiculous right now, has been shut off. So yeah. not only do you A, make more threats, but B, you believe those threats. Exactly. And then when you believe those threats, of course you make more alarm and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So what were kind of some of the things that you've done over the years to help you with your anxiety, whether they came from me or not, although I hope they came from me. I mean, there have been so many. I, I would say the biggest one for me was am I safe in this yeah, moment? Yeah, you've told me that. I've that told was, that people. I've told that to people. Which on is incredible. Before. And honestly, I've shared that with a lot of people, and mm-hmm. that is the thing that I've shared that has helped the most people. I think because it really just cut. There's nothing complicated about it. All it is is one question. And if your brain tries to ask another question or a yeah but, you derail it. Mm. Am I safe in this moment? Yes. Yes. And that's because that's I all you are. And then I go, I go one step further and I say, are my loved ones safe in this moment? Oh, interesting. As far, okay. well, because now I have children and of course, you know, everything is about them. Right. So, okay, are my children safe? They're right next to me lying in bed. They're both sleeping. They're both healthy that I know of. You can't go into what you don't know. Yeah. All I know is what's in this moment. I am safe. My children are safe. My mom and dad are safe. My husband is safe. Yeah. You know, like that. that's as far as you can go. And I know it sounds overly simplistic but for me it was it was a deal breaker it was Mm. a huge thing for me it was something really simple because I didn't want the complicated stuff and it was it was such a small thing that helped so so much yeah yeah and I I still use it to this day too I always say in the middle of the day or the middle of the night you can always say 
am I safe in this moment? Yeah. Because it does bring you into the present moment, yeah. right? Because the thing about alarm is it's your past fears. It's yes. your past traumas that's yes. coming up. And the other part is your future projections, which is your worries of the future. Yes. So if you're in the moment, and there's a great saying that says the ego has no life in the present moment, that overprotective ego that's always trying to get you to worry and yes. you know think of this, worst, yeah. you know, warnings, what ifs, worst, worst case scenarios. Yeah. But the ego has no life in the present moment. So if you can bring yourself into the present moment, another thing that I like to tell people is get into your sensation, mm-hmm. right? Get in like breath is a great place to not only breathe, but feel the sensation of your breath. Because the more we can start taking your central processing unit, your CPU, your brain, into a sensation-based place mm-hmm. rather than a worry-based place. Yes. So it takes some of the energy that yes. was previously devoted 100% into your worries, now maybe 50% in yeah, your worries. Absolutely. And, and And once you start seeing it that way, you start saying, oh, you know what? My, my worries aren't actually that overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, finding where it is in your body was another thing that really helped me out. Right. Because for me, I'm always it's always up, it's always up, up here, upper like chest. heart or chest or lungs, like it's always here. So I find just putting a hand mm-hmm. and am I safe in this moment? Yeah. And focusing on the discomfort that I feel in my body yes. that is accompanying yes. the discomfort I'm feeling in my mind because they're both there, they're existing, they're coexisting. Right. And what I choose to channel my energy into is the physical feeling, which takes away the power from the mental feeling, what's going on in my mind. And before I know it, I'm calm Mm -hmm. or I'm more calm. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes things just really work us right up, but I think it really is. And it's practice though, too. Like you can't just sort of, you can't just sort of go, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to do this when I feel anxious. You have to practice it so that you're, your subcortical structures, the, the memory in, in, that doesn't involve words, it, in central part of your brain is kind of like, oh, okay, I practiced this before. I know what a hand on my chest feels like. Yes. I know what I, I know. I can take a deep breath. I know I can go into sensation. Yeah. Now, now, often that alarm is painful. So oh, when we yeah. go, it's 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 the old trauma of your past, yeah. right? Yeah. So you're sitting that you're sitting with that old trauma of your past, but at least at least you're going at the root cause of the issue instead of being trapped up in your mind. Yeah. So it hurts. You're you're grounded in it. Yeah. You're feeling it. It's like I don't like this feeling, but yeah. at least you have a chance to metabolize it then, because otherwise you're just caught in your thoughts forever. Like you'll yeah. never get out. Or you're running away from it. You know, yeah. like a lot of times, you know, finding a distraction or because it's painful, you think, okay, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna run away from this. I'm gonna escape. I mean, it's just everything is just bandaging it. Yeah. Unless you are getting to the sensation in your body, you're just throwing a Band-Aid over it. And eventually a Band-Aid is not going to cover it any longer. Yeah. And it's going to get so, it's going to be this huge, massive, gaping wound. <laughs> and you have you have to address it. You're forced to. And I think that's what happened with you. Yeah. I think it was your Achilles heel. Yeah. Literally, and I think, yeah, your Achilles. it was my Achilles heel. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. It was just happened. like split right open. Was, and that was, your, yeah. that was your sign from the universe. It was just like, you cannot Band-Aid this anymore. You cannot just go out and do comedy every night like yeah you know i know it makes you feel great but you need to deal, deal with, with this. the root cause yeah but i didn't know lee at the time no, like i didn't no. know what it was i didn't yeah. i thought it was still in my head i thought it was still the the alarm yeah was 
was invisible to me. It was like, it was all my anxious thoughts. If I could just fix my thoughts, I'd be fine. Mm -hmm. But all I was doing was kind of rearranging deck chairs in the Titanic because (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't actually going at the root cause of what was causing the problem, which is this alarm. For me, it's lower. It's It's in my solar plexus. For you, it's up in your chest. But it's really important that we find the alarm that's in your system because that is your younger self. Mm-hmm. You know, that is your younger self asking for your attention. And it's yeah. asking for your attention through this alarm. Yes. So you can either ignore it and yeah. keep pushing it away or addictions. This is where addictions come in is because it's so painful. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying like some traumas are so big that you can't deal with them yourself. No. So you need it. You need a therapist. Yeah. But it's just finding that alarm for me was like, oh, this is actually the root cause of this stuff in the first place. Mm-hmm. So if I go with this and I heal this, I'm healing the root cause rather than just thinking better. Yes. You know, which because is not really something you can even do. <laughs> in well, my you, opinion, thinking better. Well, I mean, it's temporary. I think yeah. that there is if you look at the neuroscience beyond like if you if you worry there is something like a millisecond, a fraction of a second when you worry that you're taking the uncertain and you're making it a little more certain. Yes. So when you make it a little more certain, you get a little dopamine in your brain. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. But the problem is yeah. the cost you pay is like, oh, okay. Well, this pain I'm having in my gut is cancer. Yeah. So there's there's this tiny little fraction of a second that says, oh, well, that's where you it figured is. figured it out. There it is. And, and then it's like, but now I have freaking cancer. Yeah. Right? And then it just loops back. Yes, totally. And which is exactly what alarm anxiety does. It just loops on you. Yeah. And until you separate the alarm in your body, for you it's in your upper chest, for me it's in my solar plexus, Mm -hmm. until I allow myself to feel it and just sit with it, even though it's uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. breathing into it, staying in the moment with it, then I actually start working on the fundamental root cause of what the problem is, rather than going up into my head and trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. Because you'll never fix the thoughts of, you'll never fix a feeling with a lot of thinking. And Mm -hmm. the other thing is anxiety is is an excess of thinking. So how are you how are you believing that more anxiety, more, yeah, thinking, more thinking is going to actually help you? Yeah. Well, so, when that's all you've got. <laughs> well, and and I think as children that is all we have. Yeah. I think that's oh, exactly what happens because yeah. when you're a child and you're in an environment with a parent who's narcissistic or mentally ill like mine or an alcoholic, mm-hmm. all you have is your thoughts at that point. You can only sort of go into this fantasy world and then that alarm gets stuck in your body mm-hmm. and then you don't want to go back down into feeling town ever again. So you, that's another reason why we worry is because we can stay up in our heads with worry and avoid that alarm that's stuck You know, with me. It's in my solar plexus. With you, it's in your chest. Yeah, yeah. And it's also a much more familiar thing to people even beyond childhood. Like it's a familiar thing right. to think yourself out of something. You know, I mean, that's what that's what we do to solve all of our yeah. problems. We, you know, we hypothesize, we figure out what we think is the matter and we execute our solution, right? So why would we not, you know, we why would we alarm. not do that? Why would we not do yeah, that, exactly. right? I mean, that's how we do everything. So it's, it is kind of, when you think about it, to so many people, a very foreign concept feeling something in your body Mm -hmm. and feeling that rather than trying to use your mind, it's also a very Western philosophy, you know? And I think because there's such a divide between, uh, you know, Eastern and Western, especially in terms of medicine, people Mm -hmm. don't tend to think that the best way to use them is to actually have them coexist rather than all Western or all Eastern. Right. So, you know, and Western is very much like, well, we're going to think about this. You're going to go in, you're going to see the doctor, you're going to tell them what's wrong, you're going to get a prescription, you're going to go fill it, you're going to take it, and you're going to be better. 
Or the Eastern side is okay. Well, just breathe. Yes. Just sit there. Just in you know, just be there. Be with the pain. Be with the moment, which is okay. But sometimes the pain is just excruciating and, and overwhelming. And that's so we also need both. A, yeah, yeah. And that's also a very foreign concept to a lot of people. A lot of people look at that and they go, "I'm not going to do that. I've been taking prescriptions my whole life. Yeah. This is clearly so." It devalidates it in a way. So and then it becomes even more foreign. So yes, absolutely. You know both of them together. Um, but circling back to what's really helped me, just one yeah, other sure. thing. And I don't know, um, you know, how huge this is, but, or how revelatory it is. But another thing that you told me a long time ago was, because I tend to do the what ifs, I go down the what if river. Yes. And you the said The what to if me, river, the I what like if that. river, you know, like and that. you always say to me, it sounds like you need more information. Right. Because what I'm doing is I'm going, okay, well, you know, this has happened. And then, well, what do I do if then subsequently that happens or then, or, or subsequently that happens? Yeah. And the, the, the bottom line is I don't know yeah. because I need more information. And it's a really lovely way to just slap a piece of duct tape over your brain's mouth. Mm-hmm. Like just say... We literally cannot do anything more about this because we don't have any more information. You need input to decide what your next move is. And we don't have that input, so we have to just be in the moment and wait until we do have it. And while we're in the moment, we ask ourselves if we're safe. Yes, I am. Great, I'm safe now. I'm going to wait for more information. And I'm gonna go to sleep. And it's and it's practice though too. It's practice because I've said this before. You know, I said, look, if if I what do we know? April. So if I say, hey, first of August, I'm gonna take you to the basketball court and I'm gonna give you ten free free throws. Yeah. If you make two of them, I'm gonna give you five million dollars, Leandra. Not that I have five million dollars yet, but I hope one day that I will (laughs) to give you and that kind of thing. It's like you're not gonna start practicing basketball the day before you you have this thing. You're going to start doing it every day. So it's really like really getting into, okay, where is my alarm? And I'm creating Mm -hmm. a program for this exact same thing right now that's got a yoga nidra in it and it's got a meditation to help you find your alarm so you don't have to worry about all this stuff. But it's really about trying to change the way that anxiety is looked at and treated because now I believe that we're treating it in this very cognitive this very thought-based realm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. You know, it's like a Seinfeld thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it won't heal you. Mm. To heal you, you have to go back and find that alarm, which is your younger self. And I know that sounds pretty airy and out there. But it's finding that younger version of yourself and showing them they're seen, heard, loved, and protected. And in a way now that they didn't get back then. Because when I was a child... I didn't have that feeling of being seen, heard, loved, and protected. My mother was was you know fairly connected at the time, you know, but she was a she was the breadwinner. She worked all the time. My dad could be just crazy nuts, but he could also be loving and caring and playful and gentle. And you know, I one of my sadnesses that Leandra, you know, you got to meet him once or twice. I mean, you got to meet him before you were one because he mm-hmm. died when you were just just before your first birthday. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, you know, he was a very caring, loving person and really smart, like mm-hmm. really, really intelligent. So that was one of the sad things about, you know, and, and the, here's the weird thing, you know, the phone, remember the phone story? 
No. My dad gave Leandra this little phone. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're about to start talking about this because my kids were playing with that phone this morning. Really? Okay. And we were talking about how insane it was because the battery was still going yes. when I pulled it out of yeah. my like toy mementos yeah. box. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, but I no, just had to say great. before you started yeah. talking, that's so crazy. But sorry, go ahead about the phone yeah, story. Yeah, so basically, so, so he died and then... Every once in a while, Leandro would pick up that phone, and like three years later, that thing was still like. I mean, I'm sure 30, it was just really good. Thirty, like five years later. Oh, really? Okay. It's still on the same battery. We, no, sorry, thirty-five years. Two years ago, we replaced the battery. Mom actually wrote the company a letter because it was a Duracell battery. Okay. And it was literally a thirty-five-year battery. Either that, or it was. It was hand- magic. <laughs> it, was it was magic. magic <laughs> you know. So it's it's one of those things that I think you know. Before we close out, it's it's just our our interactions with our parents and our interactions with our children are so important and it's so important to have them on a feeling level find your find the the alarm in your child like when your child feels anxious where do you feel that honey where do you feel that in your body you know is it in your throat is it in your and then put your hand over it mm-hmm. and connect with it and and touch is so important to the developing brain it's so massively important so I just, with this one, I wanted to talk about parents and children and just the guilt that we go through. Because I went through such guilt when I you know, saw that you started developing anxiety around 21. It's like, I tried to hide this. Not that well, apparently, but I tried to hide this from her. And I think you know she's very intuitive to start with. So I'm sure she felt it on some level and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then there's that, that impotence. Like, you know, what, do you, what do you feel? Like I'm dealing that with, with grams right now, with, mm-hmm. with Lando's grandmother and my mother, mm-hmm. is that there's this impotence like I don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, we're in this sort of and I think there's just that place of there's not enough information. I have to just sort of find this alarm in my system. Mm-hmm. Am I safe in this moment? Can I stay in the present moment without getting fired into my projected worries and back into my traumatic past? Can I stay in the moment and just be okay with that even if it's uncomfortable? Mhm. Yep. And Absolutely. I think that's that's kind of where we're at. Yep. So so with um just my, kind of wrapping up a little bit here. So what kind of a dad was I? You were a great dad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you um, you found your way in an incredibly difficult time. Mm-hmm. And we did drift together and drift apart a number of times. Yeah. Um, you know, as we were discussing a couple of days ago, um, just with, you know, I was with mom and you... You know, she got the 24-7 connection with me. Right. You got to have a different, you know, you got to have a life. And right. there are pros and cons to both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I always think, you know, when I started, when I had my own children, I started to think about you and mom and how old you guys were when I was born. Right. And all I remember one day sort of making <laughs> the realization that you were 25 when I was born. Right, yeah. And I was saying to myself, oh, my. Yeah. How was I at 25? When I was 25, having a child, like, I just, I was, I was a completely different person when I was 25 and navigating that and going to med school and losing a parent and moving halfway across the country. I mean, man, you just took a crap kicking in a lot of ways, you know, and you were still, you know, you were there for me. Um, and I really appreciated that. Um, and I really appreciated the fun and the happiness 
Um, and then, you know, when you moved away and I asked you to move back here, you did. Yeah. You know, you moved away when I was 16. And then when the year I was getting married, I said, you know what? I would really love it if you moved back to Victoria so that we can get back on track. And you said, okay. That's what I did. I was like, all right. And that's what you did. And it was fabulous. Yeah. So it's been really nice. And and like I said, it's been, it's really hard when you have a child who's suffering. And I'm sure it's really hard when you have a parent. Who's suffering? Definitely, right? Yeah. I don't know which is harder in a way, you know, because your your parent is the person that you you really rely on. And I know with my father being so mentally ill, like I couldn't rely on him, and it was such a a horrible, horrible pain to deal with, you know. And it, I guess we just, you know, we just do the best with what we have. So I guess it's been great chatting with you. I knew it would be because I Leander has to give. Guess it's been great chatting with me. it has been great. It has chatting. Been okay, great chatting it has with been you. great chatting with you. Yes, of course. Uh, Andrew's very good at sort of catching me out on things. So it's it's like okay, yes, it's been great. It's, it's been, been very really lovely to be yeah. your very first podcast yeah. guest, um, and to be on a podcast. It's yeah. my very first podcast ever too. So and you're a natural, like <laughs> I've always said. You've got that gift of the gab, you know. So so. I guess what we're saying is, am I safe in this moment? Like, yes. just to wrap it up, like yep. that's one of the biggest things for you. For sure. It is for me too. Yep. Finding the alarm in your body, and yep. I am creating a program that's coming out in May that will tell you how to do this. There's a yoga nidra. There's a guided meditation that will really help you understand how this all comes together, and just really, you know, being connected. You know, like mm-hmm. like my connection with Leander, my connection with my family, my connection with my dogs. You know, that helps metabolize some of this alarm. All anxiety is separation anxiety, and it's almost always separation from yourself. And when you separate from yourself, it's impossible for you to be connected to other people. So I know with Lee, she would say, you lose your sense of humor. Like when you when you get anxious, you lose your sense of humor. So she has this barometer on me. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm not cra- cracking jokes or being silly or being happy, you know, she knows that I'm struggling at mm-hmm. that point, even though I can hide it some other ways, although maybe I'm not that great at it. But one of the things that I think I really have have cherished about Leandra is that she's just, she's so intuitive. You know, I'm intuitive too, but she's very intuitive. She knows what's going on and she can call it out. So that's why I love getting her perspective on this, how, what she's learned from my book, what she's learned from her own life dealing with anxiety and just moving past it. You know, is there anything you want to wrap this up with? No, I think you I, I think you covered everything. Yeah. Or I think I covered everything. We both covered we both everything. Both covered everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I love you, Lee. I love you too, Dad. And uh, I'll see you next time on the Anxiety RX podcast. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And if the Anxiety RX podcast resonates with you, consider getting my book. Also, coincidentally, called Anxiety RX. Or you can follow me on any of the social media platforms at The Anxiety MD or my website, www.theanxietymd.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you the next time on The Anxiety RX podcast. <laughs>